Hi, Abram. Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where we are using our new Hanukkah present right here in the studio, and nothing beats the smell of fresh brewed coffee except for fresh baked challah, of course. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, and the reason I was snickering a second ago is because <laughs> I felt the need to push in all the chairs here at the studio before sitting down, and Avrami's looking at me like, dude, <laughs> you're on the air. I, I sort of knew that. Anyway, you can find me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time right here after Charlie and right before Nahum's live lunch, as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. By the way, speaking of smells, Avram, I went somewhere for dinner that last night that clearly had really poor ventilation. You know that that feeling you get over Hanukkah where everything smells like it's been fried, your coat, your sleeves, your everything, your house, and then you go out into like the parking lot of some supermarket and that smells like it's been fried? Well, my shaitzel feels like I've been tempered. It was such bad circulation and like ventilation in this place last night that if you're smelling something fried it really is my hair so i apologize it's okay i don't really think of that as a bad smell um i guess because i'm breathing it in every single where every place i go that for me it's not so much fun anyway coming to you from the home of the beautiful nachum siegel network on the beautiful lower east side i'm joined by avrami avram how's it going how was your commute this morning uh, it wasn't this morning. It was actually, I came in last night. You because did? Yeah, because my bus from this morning, I didn't get the ticket in time and it was oh. sold out. So I actually had to go last night, which presents its own set of problems where I get into New York at, you know, one in the morning or whatever. Now what am I supposed to do? Oh, no. So what I do is I go visit my parents, You're which is loiter. nice. You're a loiter. You're a loiter. I went to visit my parents. <laughs> But then I gotta take the train into Brooklyn, and you know, nighttime they do construction, so oh, everything takes long. Nelly. So then I gotta take the. It's you know, it's nice to see my parents, but the all the nice. stuff around it right. is uh, it's just a little bit more difficult. So why don't you just come here and sleep in the studio? You have big downer. You got ZK has got a sleeping bag here somewhere. Ever since there were incidences <laughs> with visitors, I'm always worried to sleep in here and wake up with something. Uh, you know, maybe winter it isn't so bad. I, I, will, I don't know. I will tell you, as you know, I'm a person who is not a lover of things with um, more than two legs. Shall we put it that way? Uh, no, no offense to dog lovers, cat lovers I don't get, but the whole insect thing doesn't do it for me either. I hear that, but I will be honest with you that I haven't seen any creepy crawlers in a while. And um, my grandmother would say, Altavtachpeh. When I say something like that, so I'm really sorry, Bubs, if I have just brought on all of the creepy, crawly creatures in the world. But um, and also, I mean, it's nice to see my parents, and they like to see. Do me they for want a to see you at 2 a.m.? Well, no. So they see me. <laughs> my dad see. No, they he, don't. My dad was up, so he saw. And this morning, I get to see them, have a little coffee with them before I go. You know. I know, but you're, okay. So, you know what? If I, it, know. I was gonna say, if it works for you, great. But it doesn't sound like it works for you. It sounds. I like don't do it every you. week. I don't no, do it that every would week. not be an idea. That would not be an idea. Anyway, if you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break. As always, to tune in, if you are a new, re- new listener, or a returning listener, I should say, thank you for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what David Wallace does. Not Wallach. Wallace does from Eddie's Travel. Friend me on Facebook or send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachomsegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. I will not, I'm not trying to be rude. Just trying to be honest. I will get back to you afterwards. Please also follow us on Twitter, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word, and Miriam L. Wallach, all one word. By the way, David was part of a small group of entrepreneurs that we, that Nachum and I met with last week in um, Yerushalayim before um, the super storm, sandy snowfall that hit Yerushalayim. Oh, let me tell you something, buddy. 
Let me don't don't you be making that face. I know you're a New Yorker and I'm a New Yorker. Okay, so we looked at this, and frankly, all the New Yorkers I was with looked at this and said, "Come on, let's be serious." But when you're not equipped for snow, it could be Atlanta, it could be Texas, and they were hit with snow. It's just they they there's no concept of how to deal with it. As somebody said, there are no nobody has a shovel in their car. Nobody has shovels. Nobody has salt. There is plenty of sand. They're not using it for that. Nobody knows how to drive in the snow. It's a completely different skill set. And when I was looking at the um, items they were look using for snow removal, shall we say, I can show you a picture of a bulldozer. That's not what we're looking for, but that's what they had. And when you have to bring in the army in order to restore peace and, you know, power, that's uh, – it was a little bit of something. People were not people were not prepared. People were not equipped. Though we were making jokes that the supermarkets the day before the storm, that Wednesday and even Tuesday were no pun intended flooded with customers who were getting you know odds and ends and and necessities whether it was bread or whatever it is. And I joked it was like Arab Yom Kippur in the five towns. Anyway, a shout out to Daniel Gordon by the way. Not only because I am as we know unabashedly a big Daniel Gordon fan, but he is one of the many who finally have the ease of listening to us on their Bluetooth. And he is experiencing just how easy it is. So download the app, people. If you have not, you really should. Now, um, no more, I should say, no more are the days where you have to complain that you're going to be late to your meeting because you don't want to turn off Nahum and Malcolm in the car. You can take us all with you. Yes, folks, like it or not, you have us all in the palm of your hands. It has been a crazy two weeks Avrami, I just want to let you know that when I was talking to ZK on Friday after we both landed safely, thank God, um, he had a rather interesting experience on the plane. I had an otherwise, he told you about it, yeah, I had an otherwise uneventful time on the plane. And Mayor Fertig, who happened to be traveling, I don't want to say with us because we were all on separate flights, but Mayor's flight, once we got to the airport, was then delayed almost five hours. So um, once we thought the trip was over, it really wasn't. Um, but either way, ZK said to me when we spoke on Friday, he's like, you don't need to have any guests on the air this week. No, just me and Nahum, me and Nahum, and we're going to talk all about this trip. Because, like it or not, this trip has been dubbed the craziest trip that we've ever been on. And ZK has been traveling with Nahum for far longer than I have. But yet, this four days, this four days did it. Thank God nobody fell, nobody broke anything. Yes, we all came back in one piece. Um, but yet we have plenty of stories to tell for it. Um, let's go to our favorite segment. Let's go to our favorite segment. One second. That is true, though, by the way. I do have enough material for the month. Yep, you missed that noise last week, folks. You mixed that noise. Oh, thank you to Mayor Weingarten. We uh, were able to encore his show last week during this slot. Our fortune cookie for the day, folks. The smallest deed is better than the biggest intention. Huh. That's nice. I'm liking this one. Thank you, Judy, as always, for the fortune cookie supply. I uh, they, they are a necessity here at That's Life. Uh, national holidays, folks. Make note, it is National Gluten-Free Baking Week. Yes, it is. Not National Gluten-Free Baking Week. I'm not sure if Naomi is going to cover it this week on uh, Table for Two because that's my shtick and not hers. But um, even if she doesn't, I want to make sure to make mention of it. In addition, uh, today... The 19th is National Regifting Day. Avram, let's make mention of the fact that I did leave you a gift on the board for when you came in. Was that regifted? <laughs> or shall I regift it? Well, I'm a little bit nervous now. No, it was not regifted. It was an actual, I mean, what do you, we wanted to bring Avrami something back from Israel. Avrami is 
is wonderful in general, but certainly someone who we thought of while we were there and knew we could depend on while we were overseas. What do you get for the man that I make fun of that drinks, you know, bread and water? You buy him tea. Yep, I bought him a Wasatsky tea box that came with the whole sugar candy. Sugar sticks. Right, yep. sugar sticks. That's key, right? That's key. And now I look today and he's got a diet, he's got a Coke over there and a pound cake. I don't know what's going on. But either Sorry. way, if I find that, if I find that you regifted that, I'm just going to be happy. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. It's not going to be pretty. Um, if you have nothing to regift, like Avrami, you have nothing to regift here on National Regifting Day, you can always just watch the Seinfeld episode about the label maker because, frankly, that's a classic. Tomorrow, by the way, if you're wondering, it's International Human Solidarity Day, Avram. You like that? If there was I don't really have anything planned for that yet. Um, this Hello, that's why I have it planned out for you. If it, ever there was a day to stand by your fellow human and say, man, I've got your back, it's tomorrow. You know what else is tomorrow, Avram? Tomorrow is also National Sangria Day, which should make, exactly, National International Human Solidarity Day that much easier. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I think my first guest is on the air. We actually, Avram, you got him? Is that Dr. Solomon? Oh, my gosh. Dr. Solomon, Dr. Michael Solomon returns to That's Life. He's been on with us before. And we are very excited to have him here this morning because I think Dr. Solomon's going to have to keep me in line. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) You have a tall task in front of you. I just want you to understand that because I'm really going to have to try and be very adult-like in this conversation. Okay. All right. So good luck with that. I hope you have your gloves on and you ate your Wheaties. This is the story, folks. Zumba. There's an article um, on Haaretz.com that was um, penned by Rabbi Eliyahu Fink. He is the um, the rabbi at the Pacific Jewish Center, the shul on the beach in Venice, California. He's a wonderful, wonderful person. He also blogs at finkorswim.com. And he often writes um, pieces which are very relevant to what's going on in the community, in Jewish communities, um, both nationally and internationally. And he is often the voice of reason. And when the Zumba controversy really started to, um, you know, gather, gather speed or get, or take on a whole new life, um, between my having Dr. Solomon on this morning and this piece on Haaretz, it really just catapulted to the front that while Dr. Solomon and I could talk about 9,000 things, we needed to talk about Zumba. Right. <laughs> so tell me, let's let's go let's let's work backwards. For people who do not understand or do not know that there is a Zumba issue or what Zumba is, give us a little background. Okay, let's let's take a step or two back. Okay. Um, about a year ago, this lovely young woman who I was um, friendly with um, tells me that she has to stop going to yoga. Yoga. You know why, why do you have to stop going to yoga? Because she went to a shear, she went to some lecture somewhere, and somebody said to her at that lecture that yoga was invented by people who are ovde avoda zara, uh, that they're idol worshippers, <sighs> and you can't do yoga anymore. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I just kind of shrugged it off, and I said, if that's what you choose to do or your, what your belief is, but I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. What you're going for is exercise. Um, and, and if it works for you, that's great. And we know, I mean, from, from the medical and healthcare and psychological perspective, exercise is really important. Right. It's critically important. It's hard enough to get people to start exercising, let alone now telling them the exercise you're doing isn't kosher. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I heard rumors about this yoga stuff, and, and, and it went on and on and on, and, and it died. It, for some reason, it didn't get as much traction as what just happened with Zumba over the last few months. 
turns out that there are some rabbis who believe that Zumba was created by the devil um, to entice, um, I guess, Jewish women to become prostitutes. I okay. Okay. I'm again. I'm the. I'm. You're the adult today. <laughs> Let's remember our roles. I am going to keep my mouth shut until until we're ready to really start talking about this. Though I, I I'm sure you can imagine, and so can our listeners, my feeling about this um, to this point. But the just people understand for anybody who doesn't know what Zumba is. Zumba is a is a trend, is an exercise trend where there's a lot of, uh, it's inspired by Latin dancing and it usually has Latin music in the background and it encourages people, whoever's partaking in the class, to really move themselves like they are dancing and it, you break a sweat. It's exercise. Ki'ilu, the sweat you break up after the first dance at a chasana of a good friend. It's that kind of a sweat. And um, the the feeling has become... By some, by some rabbinim that beside, that initially, that, that initially there's a problem with the Latin music, that there's also a problem with some of these classes being co-ed, and which, which I appreciate, which I appreciate, um, but that the movement, that a woman's, a woman moving her body in, you know, to these dance steps or whatever is going to lead to, um, behavior that is not appropriate for a bossy stroll. How did I do? I think you did great. Thank you. <laughs> you explained Zumba to me. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, I will tell you, I have attended one or two Zumba classes. They have been all women. Um, and after doing a little bit of research for this, for this piece this morning with you, I didn't appreciate that one of the concerns was the use of Latin music. Now, frankly, I don't remember what kind of music was used in either one of these classes, but one of the first recommendations made by Rabbanim who were who were concerned about Orthodox women in certain neighborhoods, and these neighborhoods um, would be, you know, stringent Orthodox neighborhoods, who um, their first recommendation was that it shouldn't be Latin music, it only should be Jewish music. Okay. Well, you know, that, that may be for some of them, but for others, uh, you know, this gets into the whole issue. We, we've been discussing this on and off for, for generations now, but this gets into the whole issue. What questions are you going to ask your rabbi? Right. And, and, and at what point do you think for yourself? That's the, and by the way, and that's the, that's the essence of what Rabbi Fink wrote about in this piece on Haaretz.com and the basis of really the conversation that I want to have with you, and you and I are on the same page about this, but that's why I want to quote Rabbi Fink. What does he write? And, and I'm not taking this out of context. And he really, it's a very, very well-balanced piece. But what does he write? For too many Orthodox Jews, the rabbi has taken the place of the brain. And I, when I read that, I was like, bingo. You know, that's, that's, that's part of what's going on here. We, I, I worked with a graduate student a couple of months ago. Um, and he was questioning, his, his, the, the basis of his thesis was that we are asking too many questions. We as Jews are asking too many questions, and we need to accept rather than to ask. And I said to him, that's not the way I was brought up. Right. That, that's the thing. When I was brought up, and, and the way you were brought up, and the way our children were brought up, are being brought up, um, we were taught that you can have conflicting ideas and, and still be a good Jew. Right. You can take one position and and go with it, and take another position and go with it, and it doesn't mean that you can't be in both worlds comfortably at the same time. And you could decide certain things based on your understanding of life. 
what questions should you be asking a rabbi? You know, one of our rabbis um, will tell you, ask me kosher questions, ask me questions related to uh, um, uh, whether or not you, you can do certain business deals. Right. Um, you know, things like that. You know, Shulchan Aruch, Choshen Mishpat kind of things. But what are you asking me about Zumba for? <laughs> you know, if you're getting exercise, good for you. Right. And, it, and by the way, that's one of his lines. There is no section on Zumba in the Shulchan Aruch. It's just, I mean, it's, and he writes, therefore, its status is subject to personal opinion. For many Orthodox Jews, the only personal opinion that matters is the opinion of their rabbi or spiritual leader. If a rabbi says Zumba is wrong, they will yield their decision-making to the wisdom of their rabbinic authority. This applies even on matters that are not objectively wrong. It is a, it is a, a very, very, very fine line. Mm-hmm. between accepting everything that one is told to do and remembering that God gave you a brain. Right, right, exactly. Um, you know, and this goes back to all kinds of aspects of questions that people have. Uh, for example, somebody told me this just last night, uh, silliness, it has nothing to do with Zumba, but it's, again, the whole attitude. Um, this young couple has both. He's he's a dentist. She's a physical therapist. I'm making up their their professions, but they're they're from working people, so they're out in the world. It's not okay. that that cloister. They they have a, a young child about four years old, and they hired a babysitter for the hours that they have to be away. This is a regular babysitter and came with great recommendations, but there's some sort of a personality difference between the child and the babysitter. Not that the babysitter did anything wrong because they have all the nanny cams and everything looked wonderful. Just they weren't, the child wasn't getting well, along well with this babysitter. Okay. So they want to get rid of the babysitter. The babysitter's been with them exactly three and a half weeks. So they had to ask the rabbi how much severance pay to give the babysitter. Rabbi said they should give him a month's severance pay. Okay. Now, if this were my child, I'd be furious. Why did you ask a rabbi? Right. Second, what does rabbi know about severance pay? This is a guy who sits in yeshiva and learns all day. What does he know about severance pay? I run a practice. I know about severance pay. Why aren't you asking me? Hmm. Good question. And that's a good point. You know, it's a question. It, there, there is the issue of when we have stopped thinking for ourselves. And again, you know, when, when, I, when I was talking to this graduate student and we were discussing this issue and, and I said to him, you, I'm like, you learn Gemara? And he said, of course I learned Gemara. I said, why do you learn Gemara? And he said, because it's so important. I said, but Gemara is about the dialogue. Gemara is about the understanding. Gemara is about the quest for why. It's about the quest and, and, and the beauty behind where we get to where we are. And, and so how can you say we should just sit and accept when we are taught to ask questions? Right. And that to me is the, is, is, is part of what's going on here. On the one hand, I think we have rabbis who are overstepping their bounds. And on the other hand, I think we have a flock who has stopped thinking. And that, to me, is a big concern. You know, I joked on Twitter this morning that um, major concerns of the Jewish community were going to be addressed this morning. And we weren't talking about child abuse, and we weren't talking about intermarriage. We were talking about Zumba. This can't be our biggest problem. It can't be. It can't be that we are so concerned about that, that this behavior is going to lead to the Mashiach not coming. And besides that, besides that, we are losing focus on what, on, on, on what we should be doing and how we should be acting and, and, and all of our roles within society. Another quote, another great line, by the way, by Rabbi Fink is that he says, um, 
you know, again, for too many Orthodox Jews, the rabbi has taken the place of the brain. The truth is that each individual person is the best pres- is the best position to evaluate the effect any activity has on himself or herself. It may be laudable if they seek outside help in making that determination, but by no means should subjective activities be banned by unilateral rabbinic fiat. Now, I'm not concerned that these people are going to, you know, contact me because I'm sure they're not on the Internet. Um, but, but again, we have to look at the bigger picture here. We have to look at what I think and what you think are the real concerns of the Jewish community and, and wonder if we, like, whether there's a real, and, and, and I think this is where your, your background comes in. Like, what's the real fear here? Well, fr- from, from the religious perspective, the fear is loss of, of, of the cult. Uh, unfortunately, I have to use that word. It's loss of the cult. Um, you, if you're in a position of power and people uh, follow your belief system, and, and if you're allowing them to, to approach other perspectives, you're afraid you're going to lose them. Um, from, from the perspective of the child who's, who's following this pers- uh, rabbinic edict and, and not thinking for yourself, there are a variety of possibilities. I, I've seen some research that suggests that some of these kids who what do you call it, flipping out? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the kids who, who run to the rabbi constantly without thinking for themselves are doing so because they've had all kinds of traumas in their own lives and they're looking for somebody to protect them. Or uh, another piece of data that I just came across indicates that some of these kids have like uh, social skills issues or learning disabilities, and again, they're looking for someone to give them an environment where they feel that they're protected and, and taken care of. But that doesn't explain the whole perspective either. I, I think generally people want to be safe, and they are looking for someone to promise them that. that. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, if you want to be honest about religion, religion doesn't keep you safe. Religion gives you a focus, and then you have to work with in that focus to, to find what works for you. Um, if you give yourself over to a belief system without using your brains, you're going to end up with one of two things. You're going to either end up with a, a group of followers who are mindless and don't think, or you're going to find people dropping out left right. and right. Right, right. And, and, you know, that brings us to the Pew Report issue. Mm, and and, and exactly. recently, you, you, you were mentioning Rabbi Fink's article. There's was an article just came out yesterday by Neshama Kalba. Correct. I was wondering if you were going to bring it up. <laughs> uh, but I think it's one and the same. I think because, look, whatever issues she had are not exactly the same as Zumba, but... Oh. Overall, they are the same kind of approach. There's, there's this rigidity to, to approaching certain things. Look, I, I, I know from, from a very personal level that women who have beautiful voices are not giving, given an, a, a proper environment to share that. This, and I, don't, I want to get into the whole issue of Colby Isha Evra or any of that, but I think that there, there's an approach taken by uh, certain rigid people where you don't even allow the women to sing Zmiris at the Shabbos table. Mm. I, can't, I can't find any justification for that. In fact, I've been to many Shabbos tables with the, the most holy rabbis where they say there's no such thing as kol isha be'erva when it comes to Zmiris. But, you know, when you speak to some of these other people, it's, 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 it's one of those things, like Zumba and, and yoga. You can't do those because I said so. Um, you know, it's, things have been taken to an extreme and, and we're allowing it, and that's where the problem is. We are allowing it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting that you bring up the, um, the Neshama Karlbach um, article and that had quickly made the rounds all over Facebook, et cetera, and, and, and via social media because it made me 
um, want to write a piece, say why I love modern orthodoxy. And I'm not writing it. And, it, you know, it was just sort of like an inspiration and not a rejection and not a rebuke. Just my, you know, the, the, the same things I get or some of the things that possibly and I'm not I, I don't know her. I'm not claiming to know her. But but some of the things that I enjoy and the beauties of modern orthodoxy are things that I would want to write about and things that I laud and I praise and I and I, uh, you know, I believe. And I've had this conversation with Mark Zomick, um, another host here and, and major member of, of the network, is that it is the most beautiful way to live Judaism is actually by living it and not in fear that I am going to lose it if I live in the modern world. And I am sure that there are plenty of people out there who have, uh, there are, that whoever these Rabbanim are that have Asr Zumba also would not approve of me going on Fox. Shaitel or not Shaitel. But I, but, but I look at this as saying this is an opportunity for me to be an, a from Jew in an, in a, in a non-religious world or in a, in a world that respects my religion and, and, and I can be there and still be true to my Yiddishkeit. When I, um, you know, I joke with plenty of people off the air and in private, whatever, and now I'm doing it on the air, that when I go into hair and makeup at Fox, the, the woman who does my hair always comments that I have the best piece, meaning Shaitel, that sits in hair and makeup. Now, it's not that there are so many from women coming through hair and makeup at Fox. It's that a lot of people on cable television wear hair pieces. But it, it, to me, it makes me laugh because, yeah, you want to call my guy in Cedarhurst? I'll give you his number. It's not a problem. But I, but there's room for me. There is room for me, and nobody makes me do anything that questions my Yiddishkeit, that makes me uncomfortable. And when I have ever been put in a situation, I pull back. But, but there's there's the ability. Yiddishkeit is so beautiful because it allows you to breathe, and it allows you to live. And I wonder when, you know, when when people, and this is something that you alluded to in in, in terms of people feeling rejected. I wonder when it comes to when and if it comes to the point that that these rabbanim are putting down so many um, gederim, if you want to put it that way. And by the way, gederim are important. Okay, right? They, they are having boundaries are important. But I wonder if at one point somebody's going to turn around and say, you know, it's enough already. If that person's going to be rejected and the rub is going to say, all right, maybe I went too far. Um, I, I don't know of any cases like of that fit that mold just yet, but. I'm sure there are. And look, you know, people are making a big deal of the Pew report, and I read it three times now, and I think it is a big deal, but they're, they're misunderstanding a piece, I think. I'm going to get hate mail for saying this, but I think if, you, if you're <laughs> honest about the dropout rate from orthodoxy, then you have to be more honest about the dropout rate from the right-wing orthodoxy. It's being masked by the high birth rate. If you, if you controlled for that birth rate, the birth rate from the right wing would probably be higher than, than a lot higher than you'd anticipate. And I think part of it is because some of these people who, like Neshama Kalbach, as an example, are feeling so restricted that they just don't know where to turn except to leave, which is un, un, unfortunate, right. sad. It's just terrible because there are other options, and, and modern orthodoxy is one of them. But, you know, I'm not a proponent of any particular wing. I live my life the way I want. You can live the way you want. Exactly. Um, but, but, you know, let's be honest about the impact of what's going on here. Right. 
right? And it's and by the way, and and it's scary. It's scary to think that 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 there are rabbanim who are dictating this far, as opposed to saying, um, you know, I, I'm this is not this is not an area for me. We um we my husband and I had recently gone to a rav, or not so recently had gone to a rav. And um, about a, a Shaila having to do with uh, one day versus two days and going to Eretz Yisrael, et cetera, versus Yantif. And um, we went to we went to one rub who didn't who didn't feel comfortable giving us a psak specifically about what we were asking. And then we were referred to somebody else who also didn't feel comfortable. And while um, while it was a little bit frustrating because we were looking for an answer, on the other hand, kol hakavod, the humility in saying that this is not my place. Right. That, to me, was huge. Okay, so here, here's the distinction that I think uh, exists. If you go to a rub of a shul, you're more likely to get that sort of a response. Mm. Um, and, and why, I, you know, there are all kinds of theories about that as well, but um, you have to know your limitations. And, and when you're in more of a public view, then you're held to a different standard for your expect for your abilities and your expectations and, and how you handle life. So that that might be part of it. Um, look, I, I think we're on the same page. Right, absolutely. We usually are. I like chocolate chip <laughs> cookies too. <laughs> By the way, you know, tomorrow gotta get a bagel is the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be there, be square. Well I, I don't go on Fridays, let my wife do that on Friday. <laughs> I was there this morning though. <laughs> Oh, you were? That's funny. Um, but Dr. Solomon, I, um, as always, I just want to thank you for being on. But I also want to leave us, uh, I just got an, actually a text from Rabbi Fink that he's going to be able to join us hopefully towards the end of the show with the three-hour time difference. I imagine he's in shul. Um, but he ends, his, he ends his piece with a quote from Mordechai ben David. And I just want to read it. Um, he says, activities in music do not require a kosher certificate. This is Rabbi Fink speaking. They require common sense. When Hasidic music superstar Mordechai ben David was asked about a plan to give a hechsher on Jewish music that a particular quote-unquote activist deemed appropriate, this was his response. And he was quoting, you have to be one sick guy, a very sick person who thinks that Hashem sent him down to, the, to this world to decide which music is kosher and which is not kosher. He needs a good doctor. The sad thing is that he went to Rabbanim in their 80s and 90s who had never heard the music in their life, and he tried to get their endorsement to endorse him as the Mashkiach for kosher, mo- kosher music. Nebuch Rafua Shlema. It's just a great quote in terms of understanding that, um, that there are certain things that God just was not meant to dictate or that rabbis were not meant to comment on. Well, you know what? This Jewish music stuff, really is uh, troubling because I have friends in the Jewish music business. They can't be hired by certain yeshiva's students because their Rebbe said, that band, they play English music. You can't have them. But they don't play English music at your affair. It doesn't matter. They play English music. Well, as a person who plays Jewish music now all day long, <laughs> um, we uh, we actually revel and enjoy Jewish music and wish everyone the best. You know, what's interesting is that yesterday, Yossi Zweig on the Z Report did an entire show about people's favorite English songs. And there, it was everything from It's Time to Say Good Shabbos to Emuna to wonderful cuts by Avram Fried, but they were written in English. And frankly, I wonder, in retrospect, in terms of our conversation, whether somebody would have had a problem with that also. Anyway, Dr. Solomon, I, as always, it's an open invite here. I hope you come back again soon. And I hope the next time we have something uh, that whatever we're talking about, this conversation has already died down. That would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nahum Siegel Network. And I'm joined by my second guest, who actually reached out to me via email 
um, last week, and I was so uh, inundated by things in Israel that I didn't get into to it until this week, but thank God she was available. This is Adina Lichtman. She is a sophomore at NYU who just finished finals the other day, so congrats to her. And she started a wonderful organization called Knock Knock Give a Sock, and she's here to tell us about it. Good morning, Adina. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Thank you for joining me. Thank Uh, you for having me. Oh, totally my pleasure. Okay, so let's move a little bit backwards because I understand where your inspiration came from and what this organization is about, but fill everybody in. So at NYU a few weeks ago, we had an event where we were giving out sandwiches to people who were experiencing homelessness. And as I was giving them out, one guy came over to me and he was like, you know, it's really nice you're giving out sandwiches, but one thing we really need are socks. You know, with the winter coming I go through four or five pairs with, you know, the cold weather. And on top of that, we wear a few pairs just to stay warm. And socks are one thing we really need. So I went back that night and I started thinking about it. And I realized that clothing drives that happen, when there are clothing drives, people give away their old clothes. But people wear socks until they're worn out. Right. So no one. good point. (laughs) Yeah. No one gives away socks. So then the next day I stopped by Dwayne Reed just to look at how much socks cost because maybe I'll raise money for them. With $10, I bought three pairs of socks. I know. It's crazy, right, by the way? It's crazy. And you're not talking about, like, the fancy running socks or the this designer socks. You went to Dwayne Reed. Like, it shouldn't be that complicated. Yeah. And the prices were absurd. So then I was thinking, I actually went for a swim at my school gym, and I was swimming laps, and I was like, what can I possibly do? Like, how can I... How can I raise money in college for socks? And college students don't have money. Um, and then I was thinking, okay, well, every single person has one pair of socks that they can give away. Right. No one can give a whole bag, but everyone can give one pair. But if you were to have a sock drive, you wouldn't have some, like, one person just come to a sock drive to drop off their socks. And I needed to think of a way where everyone would be able to give one pair. Right, because that's a good point. You know, people are not showing up just to drop off a pair of socks, and they think, and by the way, they also, I know this might sound ridiculous because I'm a person who loves a good pair of socks, but they don't appreciate socks. I mean, for God's sakes, they're socks. And you wear them out until they have holes in them, you wear them to sleep and whatever, and they're just there. But you're right, nobody is coming to make an effort to drop off a pair of socks. So you came up with this concept. And it started with that night. I decided to knock on every door on my floor um, in my dorm. I knocked on every single door and said, listen, we're just collecting. Do you mind giving one pair of socks? Almost everyone was happy to give. So funny. I came home that night with 40 pairs of socks. Unbelievable. And that was just from one night work. From one night. took me 15 minutes to knock on every door on my floor. So then I decided, okay, you know what? Maybe I'll make a little Facebook page just for my building. I'll get one person from each floor to be a floor rep and pledge to knock on every door on their floor. So all of a sudden my friends from other buildings were seeing this Facebook page and we're like, Oh, could we get involved? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Why not? And then one of my friends from Columbia saw it Unbelievable. and asked if she could get involved. And then kids from YU and Stern started hearing about it. Eventually we got four different entire buildings at NYU signed it's up. Unreal. And then tons of kids from different schools were signing up. And then I got an email from a kid from Penn and a girl from Emory who also are signing up their schools. That's so cool. 
See, uh, I, great ideas happen with one person who just has a bright idea. It's like um, a couple of weeks ago before Hanukkah, uh, Moshe Orzak, who is the brains behind the kosher lamp, was on with Charlie Harari. And he talked about how it's just an idea. Often great ideas just start with one person who says, you know what? And it, it, and what's so genius about your concept is besides the fact that it's easy and people can give easily, but that you're right, it costs nothing. You're literally talking about giving a pair of socks. And so how many pairs have you, have you collected so far? So from all the colleges in New York, we, the drop off date was December 12th and we picked them all up. So we collected 1,128 <laughs> pairs. It's awesome. And then also we have eight high schools signed up. We have Kushner, Rambam, Hafter, SKA, DRS, Frisch, Ramaz, and TABC. Incredible. And we're picking up the socks from there on Monday. Unbelievable. And a shout out to SK because apparently they already collected over 400 pairs. <laughs> I love this. I love it because, you know, we have... All right, I've made fun about this on the on the air before. We have a bag of of single socks downstairs in my laundry room, right? And I I don't imagine that many people, homeless or not or whatever, are looking for my individual socks. But when you find a pair and nobody's wearing them, like this is a great thing to just do. And by the way, it's something that bat mitzvah programs can be a part of. And every bat mitzvah girl, a bar mitzvah boy is looking for some kind of a cool chesed project where people can easily be a part of. I've been to plenty of, of smachot where everyone's asked to bring a can, a can of food, a can of this, a can of that. And they have a food drive at the simcha, which is wonderful. But here... Bring a pair of socks and imagine how far it could be. I joked on Facebook this morning that you were changing the world um, 10 piggies at a time. And there's nothing that makes you feel better than just a good, warm pair of socks. So you started distributing them already? So the first we the first night that we collect all the socks throughout New York City, we went to YU, we drove to Columbia, we drove to NYU, we were picked up all the socks. And then we got back at around midnight and then we had to count all of them. So I had a group of friends come with me to count all of them. It's a sock counting party. Exactly. Exactly. We didn't finish until 2 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. And then the Bowery Mission is one of the few places that accepts used socks. Okay. Because also it's hard to find places that accept used socks. Who knew? (laughs) But the Bowery Mission does, so go them. At 3 in the morning, we came. You were just totally psyched. They you were, were pumped. Moving. You were into it, and you're like, I'm doing this now. And also that day was so cold. I was like, oh. I was like, guys, we need to get them out as soon as possible. It was freezing cold. While we were walking there, we were like running as quickly as we could. So, and also like the program at the Barry Mission, like everyone who's there works there. Like they kind of run the place. The people who are experiencing homelessness or previously experienced it are also at night the people who are running it. So for them, in the middle of the night, at like 3 in the morning, to get over a 1,000 pairs of socks, they're like, wow, you guys are like our sock angels. Right, you're sock fairies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> some people make sock monkeys, and some people donate socks to the homeless. <laughs> By the way, if, if you had, Rami, you were picking up on this. I don't know if it's just me picking up on it, but Adina has referred to the people she's helping as experiencing homelessness, which is a very, I guess, PC term, but also um, removes it from being a label or a stigma as it being just a, hopefully, what is a temporary status, which I I think is pretty cool. I mean, 
I'm a lefty, but I think it's, um, I think it's pretty cool. When you, so you delivered these socks and they thought you were sock angels, which is fantastic. And you walked away and you and your friends, it's three o'clock in the morning. Tell me about that moment. Um, it was just for me, I like, I kind of, as I was walking away, I just couldn't stop smiling because it was something that literally I thought back to that moment where I was swimming laps and I ran out of the pool just to, because I was so excited about the idea, thinking that I would get it only for my building. Right. And the idea that this one little idea came from people wanting, you know, it wasn't, I wish I could say that it was me really reaching out and to a large extent I reached out to a lot of people, but it wouldn't have happened if people weren't interested and like, in college, so many students have this drive to help, but not necessarily the means to help. And right, right. So many students were able to just pledge to knock on every door on their floor and bring it. We had five different drop-off locations throughout New York, so all they had to do was just bring it to one of the five drop-off locations. It's such a great concept. It really is. And it also, it, it fills a need. I mean, there's a, there is a necessity. And, and by the way, when we have made, in the past, we have sent care packages overseas to soldiers who are serving in, in Afghanistan or Iraq. One thing that they've mentioned before is that everyone wants socks. There are not enough socks, and you only get a certain number of issued pairs of socks. But again, it was like, oh, really? They need socks? That's so cute. <laughs> um, but in this case, it really is a necessity. If you are, I'm going to use the term, if you are experiencing homelessness, then that is a necessity. And frankly, you're right. Everyone has an extra pair of socks that they can just give. It should be just as easy as that. So it has to be really gratifying to you that your little idea, your little seed, has now become this thing. So it's kind of it's kind of a concept that's like hard to believe because it's just I didn't expect it to go far at all. But there's one thing that I really learned from it: um, the idea that I thought that night that I was giving out sandwiches, and to me, I thought. Every person's on the street, like, that must be what they need. Right. They must right. need food. And the idea that someone stopped and spoke up, and I was kind of taken aback. I really appreciate it. But I was taken aback. And then I started speaking to other people I'd see on the street about, like, you know, what are other things you need? And so many people mentioned socks. And it just kind of taught me that so many times we go into communities or we go into different situations assuming that we know what people want or need. And obviously with the best intentions, but right. we just kind of go in thinking that Good we Musser. know. But I just really, I learned that it's about going to a community and listening to what people want or need or asking before you take any type of jump. And that night when we went at three in the morning and I asked him, I was like, listen, somebody spoke up and said they need socks. I was like, is there anything else that you guys really is like in demand and they mentioned a few things and it's something that I want to keep my, you know, eyes and ears peeled for. The most common things that are needed for donations are socks, gloves, um, hats and underwear. And those are basic necessities, basic necessities over the sandwich. It's just very interesting. It really is. I want you to know, by the way, um, I don't check my email. I make an announcement. I'm not going to check my email during the show, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, in looking right now, we just got an email from a listener who um, is donating a case of socks. Wow. That's really That's cool. That's amazing. Donating a case of socks. It's um, it's amazing. 
Wow. Our listeners, by the way, our listeners are, I can't, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm stuttering a little bit. Um, but our <laughs> listeners in general are amazing. They often, he, you know, hear the, the call for something and they, and they fill that void or they come through with whatever it is. Um, and I, I will be in touch with that person. I can thank that person right now for the case of socks, but I will somehow or another get it to you. You and I will coordinate, by the way, also shout out to Benjamin Siegel. He's your contact person at YU. Yeah, he's knocking he... on doors. By the way, Benjamin Siegel comes knocking on your door asking for a pair of socks. You're going to give him one. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I'm just telling you that right now. So, Adina, just tell me what the next move is because I do have Rabbi Fink um, calling from Venice, California on the phone. And, right? He's on the phone? Yeah, okay. And I do want to get to him. I don't want to keep him on hold too long. But just tell me, how can people help you and where can people give? Um, so, I plan on making this annual um, for until Monday, I guess. Um, on Monday, I'm going to the eight different high schools that I mentioned and picking up socks. So if you want to drop it off there for now, but if you want, you can email me. Okay. What's your email? At AL2910 at NYU.edu. And if you want your shul or your school to donate, you can just contact me and we'll arrange a pickup and I'll. It's pretty incredible. And by the way, I think it's probably the easiest way to uh, get you that case is just probably to bring it to Hafter or my kids go to school and you can take it from there. Sounds great. Adina, a kolakavo to you because again, you know, first of all, a lot of people have ideas, not everybody follows through, but your, your, the, the simplicity of your concept is just exactly why it executes so well. But also you gave tremendous, tremendous musr, listening to the need of the community. Don't assume you know what somebody needs. You should really just ask. Thank you for joining me on the air. Thank you so much. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network and coming full circle. Uh, I didn't mean to wake you up too early, Rabbi Fink, but Rabbi Eliyahu Fink is on the phone. He's the rabbi at the Pacific Jewish Center, the shul on the beach in Venice, California. He's the author of Is Zumba Kosher on Haaretz.com, the article that I mentioned at the beginning of the show um, when we were speaking to Dr. Solomon. So good morning, Rabbi Fink. Good morning to you as well. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm happy we were able to connect. Um, I, I, I'm sure you were not. I'm sure you were in shul <laughs> because of the time difference when I discussed the article at length. But I really thought it was brilliant, and I want to give you um, just credit as both a, a, a writer and a rub for making the comment and saying, you know what, the rub doesn't need to comment on everything, and frankly, we as Jews need to use our brains. Well, I appreciate the uh, kind words, and I do, I, I do uh, regret that I missed the earlier conversation. I kind of wish that I had heard what was going on, but I'm happy to pick it up with, uh, with the few minutes that you have left. No, I appreciate it. So tell me something. Um, I imagine it took a tremendous amount of guts to write this piece in the first place, but, um, and again, kudos to you for doing so. But what was it? What was that moment that said, you know what, I need to write this? You know, when, when, when the people on the Internet started talking about this issue, the main thing that people were focusing on was really the way that the message was delivered. It was like so important to people that it became the main thing that people focused on, that things were said that people found inappropriate. And I found that to be an important discussion, but that's kind of a discussion that's very centered on one specific person and one specific incident. And I always try and find the thing that it's, that's more universal, the issue that can try and uh, use something for a springboard for a greater conversation. And so I didn't comment on that at all. Uh, it was, you know, it was a, f- a fire burning for a few days. When all of it kind of died down, I said to myself that there's a really universal lesson here. And the lesson here is that there's only one person that's in the best position to really understand 
how a person is being affected positively or negatively by an activity. And it's not a rabbi who doesn't know you or who is speaking because he knows a few people or he has a few examples. It's really only that person that is the one doing the activity. So I wanted to try and refocus the conversation and talk about the general idea of rabbis giving opinions about things that are not prohibited in halacha that is usually going to be based upon a few incidents or maybe even their personal experience and have that conversation instead, because that's a much more fruitful, productive mm. conversation. I actually just got an email from a listener. I know I'm going back on my word twice in one show, but I got an email from a listener who says, where does Das Torah fit into this discussion? It's an excellent question. A lot of people are very concerned about that kind of thing. And the truth is that Das Torah means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Uh, for me and the people that I grew up with in my yeshiva background and the people in my family that grew up in my, our yeshiva background, Das Torah meant that if you have an issue that you need to discuss with a rabbi, then you should, and you should take their advice, and maybe you can talk to another rabbi. It's an issue of trying to reach out to people who may have a better perspective on things than oneself. And I mentioned that in the article, that of course, yeah. it's worthwhile to speak to people that are mentors or people who are experts or people who are close confidants that have wisdom that you may not possess. And that is where we uh, fit the word Das Torah in. The truth is that even if people that take a more maximalist position of Das Torah, which says that if a rabbi of a great position of authority says something, then it kind of binds us to that idea that he has said, that would apply maybe to like a Gadol Hador. But I don't, I mean, I don't mean to disrespect Rabbi Wallerstein. He's an excellent rabbi. But I don't think anybody really considers him the type of person that's speaking on behalf of Das Torah. That's usually reserved for rabbis like Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Rav Shmuel Arbach, Rav, uh, Rav Steinman, these are the rabbis that usually are, are, are accorded the honor of, being, of, being, of speaking on behalf of Das Torah, not rabbis of shuls or of, of schools or communities that are uh, just, you know, the types of people that we interact with on a more regular basis. Um, I, and I think, that's a, I think that's a great point. I'm happy you were able to address that for this listener. I, I, the line to me, the couple of lines, and I, I, quote, I, I quote you from the piece, um, my favorite line is, for too many Orthodox Jews, the rabbi has taken the place of the brain. And I mentioned in my conversation at the beginning of the show that I worked with a graduate student who, um, whose, whose basic thesis was that there are people are asking too many questions, that we as Jews are asking too many questions, and we need to accept more and question less. And I said to him, that's just not the way, it's not the way we were raised. That's not what we're supposed to do. Right. So, you know, the truth is, you know, when, when people talk about, as a rabbi of a community that's uh, very diverse, and I meet people of all different backgrounds on a regular basis, whether it's in person or it's uh, virtually, very often people ask me questions like, you know, what is Judaism to you? What's the most important part of Torah? What's the most important verse in the Torah? And these are questions that are kind of subjective. Everybody has their own answers. Some people say Shema Yisrael. Some people say Anochi Hashem Elokecha. There's all sorts of answers that people give, but the answer that I was always taught uh, by my teachers, especially by my father, was always, the answer is, the answer is that we are supposed to choose life. And in order to choose life, one has to be able to, to make choices. One has to be able to be given the tools to make choices. And when we make choices that are the right choices, we do so much more for ourselves than if we just follow what we are being told without making the choice. Then the only choice is really just to follow. But when we learn about ideas and we learn about things that are the challenges in our lives, and we make choices. That is truly living. That is bacharta b'chayim. So the answer 
that I always give people is that the most important verse in the Torah to me is that we are supposed to learn about every single issue in our lives, whether it's even halachic issues, we should educate ourselves, because there's many, many times there are various opinions in halacha, but certainly in areas where halacha does not have a specific thing to say, where it's areas of how I should uh, adjust my attitudes or the things that I care about, those types of things are certainly areas where we should be making our own choices. And when we do, then we are making the choice of That is really the whole purpose of, of our ability to choose. If our only choice in life was to, to decide whether we should blindly follow what other rabbis tell us to do, then that's a very small amount of areas where we'd be choosing. And I think that would be doing a disservice to ourselves. Unbelievable message. Unbelievable message. And really um, also very good, Musar. Avrami, um, our engineer, and I are sitting here nodding in affirmation. It just, you know, you're right. It makes a tremendous amount of sense. And and what I was commenting before was that one of the things I love the most about modern orthodoxy is that it allows me to live my Judaism and live. And and that's what you're speaking to. That's correct. So the truth is that I learned this in an, in an environment that wasn't what we would call today modern orthodoxy. But, um, you know, the last 15, 20 years, things have adjusted somewhat. And, and it's, it's unfortunate that I think that the uh, lines have become drawn so clearly. It used to be a little less, um, less clear as far as, like, which sect or group a person participated in based on this particular issue. Um, but for me, this is not something that should be reserved for modern orthodoxy. I think that is something that is important to have in all areas Beautiful. of Yiddishkeit. Excellent. Wow. What an excellent, excellent way to end this segment. Rabbi Fink, I'm happy I was able to con- uh, to connect with you this morning, and um, I actually really look forward to coming to the show on the beach one day and meeting you in Venice, California. I look forward to it as well. Everybody's invited. Thank you very much. You can follow Rabbi Fink. He blogs at finkorswim.com. You can also find him through Facebook, Twitter, or email. That was Rabbi Eliyahu Fink from the Pacific Jewish Center in Venice, California. Well, this has been a packed show. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I want to make sure that you do not miss what we have coming up for the rest of the day. So let's go through the lineup. Right after That's Life, we have the live lunch with Nachum Siegel. He is here from 11 to 1. He is in the studio as we speak. He'll be on in just a couple of minutes, followed by an encore of sound advice. And then we are encoring the stunt show hosted by Daniel Gordon, where Ellie Hagler challenged Esty Ackerman to the ping pong match. Esty is back in the news I'm actually hoping she joins us on the air soon. Soon, And in anticipation of that, and frankly because we thought the episode was hysterical, we are encoring it today. We are only encoring the audio, people, just so you know. We are not encoring the video. So you can listen, but you cannot watch. Buy the book, um, the encore for Buy the Book, hosted by Nahum Siegel. And then Michael Fragan with Spin Class at 6 p.m., Charlie Burnout at 7 p.m., wrapping up today's lineup. Join Nahum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as he hosts JMAM live here on the stream. NahumSiegel.com, jmnam.org, 91.1, and 91.9 FM. And don't miss Malcolm with his weekly update approximately around 7.40 in the morning. Naomi and Table for Two on tomorrow morning from at 9 a.m. An updated Season 2 programming schedule will be on our website next week. You can click on the schedule then for all the updated programming as we are making a bunch of changes. My thanks to Avrami, my thanks to Dr. Solomon, my thanks to Rabbi Fink, and my thanks to Adina, who is still here, and I can't wait to talk to her off the air because I think that this program is just so great, and actually I'm always proud of 
going to make me sound like I'm 100. I'm always proud of young people who have great ideas and actually just follow through on them. They are the leaders of tomorrow. I leave you this morning with Arya Kunstler's, um, what are, where, where is it? Where is it? Split the sea, yes. Sorry, not because we are up to Az Yashir in the Parshas. That has nothing to do with it. It just has to do with the water. And frankly, I'm a Kunstler fan. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. to go. I've left my chains behind me. I'm a slave no more. Yet they're coming on for me. They're coming on real fast to return me to the land of Egypt to come on and bring me back. Well, God has brought me out of there and he won't leave me here. Between oppression and the water and the middle me and my fears and some space are failing. There's only one thing to do. Approach now, so when I go, yeah, right into the water. My faith is the only thing I know, and I'm praying for a miracle, for a wonder to occur. So